Biden is in big trouble. <laughs> uh, yeah, they've gone off the deep end again with this transgender crap, and this one is beyond me. I will tell you about it coming up. And Anheuser-Busch steps in it again, not having learned their lesson the first time, or the second time, or the third time. Just hold on. We got that story coming up. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. It's Friday, Friday. We're so happy it's Friday. Hey, protect your online activity with the best and the easiest and most secure VPN, NordVPN. Use our special link. It's in the show notes tonight. You'll get an incredible deal from the Jay Sheldon Show and NordVPN. All right, let's get right to it. It is our fabulous little furry friend, Miko, and the Miko Update. Nee, 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 nee. She's doing great. Had a wonderful day today. A couple of good walks in the park and hanging out. And uh, yeah, this is uh, her with one of her favorite toy bears. And uh, she always has that look on her face, no matter what. She's doing great, though. And uh, she started shedding again. Here we go. About twice a year, Shiba Inus have what's called a blow. And it is. It's like a snowstorm in my house. The vacuum works overtime, three, four, five, six times a day. It's incredible. But you put up with it because you love her. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's it. That's the Miko update brought to you by BarkBox.com, a monthly subscription service for your dog. You sign up, go to BarkBox.com slash Miko. That's our special link and you'll get a free month with a multi-month subscription every month delivered right to your door a box full of treats and toys and goodies uh, two toys two bags of treats and a dog chew all natural ingredients no artificial crap and these things are very good for your dog no problem if your dog by the way does have any allergies you can check a box there's a little check box when you sign up and they'll make sure you don't get that. You know, if your dog has an allergy to fish or sea, uh, seafood, chicken, beef, whatever it is, they'll take care of it. And they have a 100% satisfaction guaranteed. If you are ever not happy with something on BarkBox, you let them know about it and they'll make it right no matter what. BarkBox.com slash Miko is our link. You'll find it in the show notes tonight. And thank you, BarkBox.com. Dot com for helping to uh, sponsor the show. Also, coming up tonight, of course, we will continue. Last show, we started uh, 1984 with George Orwell, and we'll continue on with the first chapter of that uh, coming up later on towards the end of the show. All right, the headline in the thumbnail said, Goodbye, Joe. Mm, could be... <laughs> Uh, once I managed to get past all of the uh, New York Post ridiculous advertising, which is insane, you'll find this link in our show notes, and it's just getting worse and worse. We brought you a quick update last night because it had just broke, but it got worse or better today. Is justice burying hard evidence of actual Joe Biden crimes? Yes. Did Joe Biden sell out America, commit crimes by making policy decisions in exchange for 
a little cash, well, actually a lot of cash from foreign nationals when he was vice president. There is a whistleblower, we told you last night, claims now that the FBI has a file that links the president in just such a scheme, uh, according to a new subpoena from the House Oversight Committee. Uh, yet signs point to the Justice Department punting on evidence. Committee Chairman James Comer, who does not screw around, he's a Republican from Kentucky, and he means business when he talks. He says the whistleblower's claims raise concerns that then-Vice President Biden allegedly engaged in a, a bribery scheme with a foreign national. And Chuck Grassley and himself wrote to Attorney General Merrick Garland, useless piece of crap. And speaking of which, FBI boss Christopher Wray, that the tipster is highly credible. Coming from Grassley and uh, Co uh, Comer, if they say highly credible, he's highly credible, or she. If this file exists... It's said to have been created back in 2020. A good reason to suspect the Justice Department of trying to bury it. Public's been completely in the dark, you and I, about anything until now. With no signs of any probe based on the whistleblower's allegations. And this, these allegations are huge. Huge, as our favorite president would say. It follows the anonymous IRS agent who came forward last month claiming a cover-up in the Justice Department's probe of Biden's son, Hunter. Indeed, for years, the department has dragged out its investigations of Hunter Biden and presumably his apparent influence peddling and other issues. Uh, the FBI maybe acted on the new whistleblower's charges, but say they didn't find enough evidence. Uh, okay, we're not buying that one either. Maybe justice prosecutors are hard at work putting together a case. Doubt it. Anyway, Biden's Justice Department, hard to trust, obviously, politicized under Garland to target parents who speak up at school board meeting, even went after traditionalist Catholics, I mean, it's just, it's been a mess from the beginning, and it's getting messier. And things are, it's right out there, folks. Things are not going well for this rotting bag of bones in the White House. And it's just going to get worse. The only thing that scares me about getting rid of this moron, demented piece of garbage, is what potentially will be in its place. Hmm, yeah. Camilla or Carmella or whatever the hell she's calling herself these days. Can you imagine that more? Uh, we're going to tell you more about that coming up uh, with our current vice president. Embarrassing as hell. But um, uh, more on this from Trending Politics. Man, this story just does not go away, thankfully. Explosive emails show a former CIA director colluding to create false documents to influence the 2020 election. There is a bombshell new email that 
John Sullivan's site, Just the News, has obtained that uh, shows unbelievable details about the lengths that uh, Mike Morrell went to in order to help Joe Biden in the 2020 election. This was an email sent by former CIA director Mike Morrell to Obama-era CIA chief John Brennan. In 2020, you remember, you've heard it all before, 51 in- intelligence agents signed a letter, said the Hunter Biden laptop, laptop story was Russian disinformation. Well, this newly released email shows even more details about how this letter came about. Specifically, one of the intended purposes was to give Biden talking points during the 2020 debates against Trump. It's right in the email. According to John Sullivan, this is the ultimate proof that what went out on that letter was a political dirty trick coordinated with the Biden campaign. Yeah. Unbelievable. It just doesn't go away. And we should be grateful for that. As a matter of fact, here's from Benny Johnson on Twitter. Check this out. Just the News obtained this email. This is a very important email. It comes from the former CIA director, Mike Morrell. Yes, the guy that organized that letter from the 51 intelligence professionals who tried to fake you into thinking that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation when it wasn't. Uh, it is between him and John Brennan, one of the signatories. You know who John Brennan is. He was Obama's CIA director, right? He's the guy that told Obama, hey, Hillary Clinton is doing a dirty trick on Donald Trump called Russia collusion. Well, this is just before the presidential debate between Donald Trump and Hunter uh, and uh, Joe Biden. Hunter Biden's laptop is is flinging out there. This is what Mike Morrell, former CIA director, tells his successor, John Brennan. Hey, sign this letter because I'm, quote, trying to give the campaign, particularly during the debate on Thursday, a talking point to push back on Trump on this issue. A man with a security clearance, a man with the title of CIA director, knew that he wasn't creating an intelligence product, uh, uh, a Merrick civic duty with 51 people. He was trying to create a political moment. Damning evidence. We'll try to find out if Congress has this letter, but this is a very important piece. It is the ultimate proof that what went out on that letter was a political dirty trick coordinated with the Biden campaign. Unbelievable. There, you heard it right there. John Sullivan, a very trustworthy and... John Sullivan's Just the News site is phenomenal. If you want a... I mean, everybody thinks he's right-wing. He's not. He's balanced. He gets the facts, and when he has confirmed the facts, he puts them out there. And that is the case with this. And there you go. You see it right there in the email. They were not trying to create some sort of intelligence brief. They were trying to help the Biden campaign with the debates. Insane. Absolutely insane. All right. Uh, let's see here before we uh, before we move on. I want to tell you about NordVPN. NordVPN, probably the best VPN. You, in fact, it is the best VPN you can possibly get for your money, because folks, you need to secure your online data. 
Today's digital age, our internet privacy security, more important than ever, ever before. That's why NordVPN is the perfect solution for protecting your internet activity. You don't want people seeing what you do, watching everything you do, taking down all your data, selling it off to advertisers. With NordVPN, you can browse the web securely and, more importantly, privately, without worrying about hackers, snoopers, you know, even your own internet service provider, your own ISP, can track your online behavior, sell your data. NordVPN has military-grade encryption technology that ensures your data stays safe and confidential. And user-friendly interface. You know, some people are a little afraid about VPNs. Oh, it's so complicated. It's not. Lo load up the app, click a button, that's it. You're done. You're secure. And... You can uh, protect your family and your friends, all your devices, because with a single NordVPN account, you can connect up to six devices. In our show notes, right towards the top, is a special link from the Jay Sheldon Show for NordVPN. If you use that link, you will get an amazing deal. Thank you. NordVPN. Why risk your online security and freedom? Sign up today. Take advantage. Use our special link in the show notes for NordVPN. I, I said in the beginning, I teased the idea that the groomers are back at it. And, oh, man, this, you know, somebody called it Munchauser syndrome by proxy, which is basically the parents forcing on their very innocent children what screwed up things they've got in their head. This is one of the most disturbing things I think I have ever read in my life. This gender ideology, some of these idiot parents, abusive, flat-out child-abusive parents, it's barbaric. It has no place in a civil society this is from a group called Parents of Transgendered Children. It's just words on a page. I'm putting it up there anyway so you can see it, it actually exists. Listen closely to what this moron child abuser parent wrote. My son got his second blocker today. Yay! I was go it was going great until the doctor came in to perform the procedure. The doctor was amazing, by the way. My son freaked out after the numbing cream and after the numbing medicine was put in with the needle. He got so scared, he refused to have the procedure. Luckily, Children's Hospital provided a child specialist to stay with us during the whole procedure. Her job was to calm him and distract him. It took over an hour of negotiations before he let the doctor continue. I literally bribed him with money. It was the most stressful hour plus. Still, this person doesn't get it. I was so scared he wasn't going to go through with it. And I just kept thinking of the consequences if if he didn't. Here's what this person was worried about. The medicine cost $43,000. 
plus the cost of the insertion packet. The medicine only lasts a few days once prepared to insert. So coming back to put him to sleep for the procedure would be unlikely. Not sure the insurance would approve it again. I'm so proud of him he went through it and cannot believe how brave he is. You basically bullied him into getting your form of child abuse. The whole way home, she writes, he, he was crying because he's releasing his stress. Oh, my God. He kept saying how it's just not fair he has to do this. And he's right, it's not. I really can't explain to my friends that don't have a trans child how stressful this was. So I thought I'd say it here. Being the parent of a trans child is not the same as just being a parent. You sick mother... These people have to be stopped. That is disgusting. And this person just laid it right out there. This is the kind of crap some of these moron, child-abusing parents are putting kids through. It has to stop. I don't know how, whether it's going to take laws in your state or whatever. But this is absolutely insane. Insane. We are living in evil, evil, evil times, my friends. Unbelievable. I got more, too. <laughs> it's not just the parents. From the Daily Caller. <laughs> I just, I have to shake my head. Transgender toddlers receiving treatment at North Carolina University. Links in our show notes if you want to read the whole article. Multiple medical schools in North Carolina are reportedly administering sex change treatments to toddlers. This is according to a report put out Tuesday of this week, just a few days ago, by Education First Alliance. University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, East Carolina University, and Duke University have all been identified as medical schools that offer transitioning therapy for toddlers. They opened, Duke University opened the Child and Adolescent Gender Care Clinic. 2015 reportedly treats children as young as two years old for gender dysphoria. Two years old. A quote here, we're working with all kinds of kids, from infants to teens. And we take care of children that are having problems developing gender. They're not having problems developing gender. You are giving them problems or making them up where they do not exist. Look at this. Look at this. Duke UNC and ECU. 
Duke Health, as young as two years old. And you idiotic parents are encouraging this crap. You're not only encouraging it. This child has no sense of reason, no sense of right or wrong, no sense they are anything other than a boy or a girl. And nothing you do to them is going to biologically change that fact. UNC, three years old. ECU Health, four years old. These are the places toddlers can go for transgender treatment. What, honestly, what more is there to say? It's evil. It's absolutely pure, unadulterated evil insane do I have a uh, I know I thought I did alright never mind we'll go back to the main camp <coughs> this is crazy my friends please call your senator call your representative call your congressman let them know how you feel about this we are living in evil times evil 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 times Unbelievable. And this ridiculous administration is just encouraging it. They're doing everything they can to make sure this continues. All right. I got to get off this topic or I'm going to just absolutely, my head's going to explode. But this isn't going to do it much better. Mm -hmm. Again, the Daily Caller, you're telling me we have too many jobs? Josh Hawley absolutely rips apart the interior secretary and her rationale for shutting down U.S. mines. Josh Hawley, Republican senator from Missouri, berated Biden-appointed interior secretary Deb Holland for insinuating that workers shouldn't be concerned about her department's decision to block a major mining project. Why? because there were other blue-collar jobs available. Hmm. The exchange occurred as the two uh, discussed the Interior Department's decision to impose a moratorium on mining in the Boundary Waters area watershed in Minnesota, which essentially kills the project. Insane. I have that exchange. Yes, I do. Listen to this. Hold on. Here we go. Can you tell me what nation is the largest producer of refined lithium in the world? No, I can't. It's China. Can you tell me which nation is the largest producer of refined cobalt in the world? No, Senator. It's China. Do you know what nation is the largest exporter of natural graphite to the United States globally? No, Senator. It's China. Okay. Why block the development of these resources in our own nation in favor of making us dependent on China. Jobs for blue-collar workers in this nation are valuable resources. The livelihood and well-being of American families are valuable resources. The ability of America to have our own industry and not be dependent on China is a valuable resource. Why should those things for millions of Americans be sacrificed in, in favor of your agenda for radical climate change. 
there's like 1.9 jobs for every American in the country right now. So I know there's a lot of jobs. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're telling me <laughs> you're telling me we've got too many jobs in the country. Well, I'm saying that we don't have enough people. That's why we are um, having a hard time finding folks to work at our department. But oh, wait, you're telling me that we have too many jobs for blue collar work. Have, have you seen the number of jobs we have lost in this country to China in the last 20 years? Do you know where those jobs come from? Over three million jobs have gone to China. They've come out of Midwestern towns like the ones I represent. They are blue collar workers. And you're sitting here and telling me that we have too many jobs in this country. Are you serious? Senator, we are working hard every single day. There I want to are... take the strongest possible exception to that comment and that to that entire mentality, which I think is very honest. I think it reflects the mentality of your administration, which is when it comes to blue collar workers in this country, you're on your own. Good luck. Good luck to you. We got plenty, you know, just shut up and go get a job at McDonald's, you know, whatever. No more, quit, quit complaining about the loss of American industry. I mean, good Lord, that is extraordinary. What an extraordinary response. Trading off American energy security in favor of your radical climate change agenda, losing, shutting down good paying American jobs in our energy sector, and then saying the explanation is we've got plenty of jobs in this country, I think is the most potentially, and this is quite, this is quite a high bar, I might add, the most unbelievable statement I have heard from a member of this administration, maybe in my time in the Senate. Wow. Yeah. That's what kind of a mess all oh, that's about. Uh, but good for you, Holly. Excellent, 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 excellent. Wow. All right, we've got uh, lots more coming up. And you know what? I've got to take my earpieces out because I've got this weird laggy delay going on, and I don't know what that's all about, but we'll deal with it. All right, here we go. I told you before, and I'm going <laughs> to... Oh, man. Anheuser-Busch, by the way, the boycott on Bud Light is... Fantastic. It is what 27% a drop in sales, which is beyond huge. It is astronomical. And of course, Anheuser Busch has never yet apologized. They've come up with a couple of really lame ass sort of excuses for what happened. And the latest doesn't do it any better. Check this ridiculousness out from Red State. Links in our show notes. Anheuser-Busch's latest ridiculous excuse for Mulvaney disaster is laughable desperation. Indeed it is. I am not showing Mulvaney. I promise not to show him anymore on this channel and this show. Listen, I'm sick of it too. My self-containment has its limits. Anheuser-Busch continues to dig their hole deeper and deeper this beer giant's latest excuse for Bud Light's disastrous decision proves yet again that Anheuser-Busch just doesn't come close to getting what the problem is. Or at the very least, they just don't want to admit it. With the sales numbers continuing falling off the big cliff, what did I say, 27% the last figure I saw? Anheuser-Busch again pushed the panic button, sent a letter to their wholesale uh, wholesalers, they're beer wholesalers, addressing this controversy surrounding Bud Light. Talk about desperation. Uh, the letter comes a month after the TikTok video was posted, 
And uh, here's the best part of the Anheuser-Busch hilarious letter. <laughs> I can't read this without laughing. It's that stupid. This was one single can given to one social media influencer. It was not made for production or sale to the general public. This can is not a formal campaign or an advertisement. Nice try, A.B. Taint working. Clueless. They are clueless. On how, what difference does it make how many cans you printed or you had out there? Just, just keep digging. You know, there's an old expression. I know I will screw it up, but it's some something like when you find yourself in a hole digging, stop digging. It, it's something like that. You, you get the idea. Apparently, Anheuser-Busch does not get the idea. Oh, man. I'm loving the stupidity, though. Can't beat that part. <clears throat> I, I just want to cover this briefly because I've said, you know, much as I am have very conservative values, I, for the most part, uh, will go along and, and could be called a bit of a right-wing conservative. No doubt about it. I, and boldly and proudly. But the one place where most conservative people and I would part ways is under, is the death penalty. I am completely and 110% against the death penalty. I am all for putting people away for the rest of their life without parole. And yes, I don't mind paying more in my taxes in order to pay for them to be put away in life for life with no possibility of parole, die in prison removed from society death penalty no because that can never be changed and here's actually a pretty good example of why from red state innocent man on death row the shocking evidence in richard gossip's case again i'm not it's a long article it's got all kinds of details but the bottom line is this guy's been on death row in oklahoma since 1998 convicted of murder he has maintained his innocence throughout his time in prison since 98. Investigations now have shown that the case against him is actually rather shaky and sparked widespread controversy and calls for his release. It began back in 1997 when Glossop's boss at the Best Budget Inn, Oklahoma City, Barry Ventrice, was murdered. Well, Glossop who was the hotel's manager, was accused of conspiring with a maintenance worker named Justin Sneed to carry out the murder. Sneed confessed to the crime and claimed that Glossop had paid him to carry out the killing. Glossop tried, convicted of murder in 98, based largely on Sneed's testimony, and he's been on death row ever since, fighting to prove his innocence and avoid execution. Over the years, a huge amount of very high-profile individuals, organizations become involved in his case, including Susan Sarandon, the actress, as she's been a very vocal supporter of his cause. And there are, you read this article and, and check out DNA evidence, all kinds of things, there are plenty of things going on with this case that show that it is entirely possible 
An innocent man has been convicted and sentenced to death. Fortunately, so far, he hasn't been executed. But this is a fascinating article from Red State. The link is in our show notes. I hope you will check it out, read it, find out more about it, because it's, uh, like I said, the best example I can give you to why, in spite of my right-winging tendency for my opinions, I'm totally against the death penalty for anything, ever, any reason. Yeah, I've heard all the arguments. Oh, what if some guy killed all your family? No. To prison, for life, no parole, die there. Goodbye. Death penalty? Absolutely not. All right. Remember on our last show, we told you how they're coming after your gas stoves. We were called conspiracy theorists for talking about it. And by gosh, look what happened in New York State. They're coming after your gas stoves. Well, guess what's next, folks? Your air con. Yep. The Biden administration is going to require more efficient window air conditioners and air cleaners. Here we go. Now, they'll be coming out and saying, oh, no, we're not going to take away your air con. They're finalizing more stringent, efficient requirements for both window air cons. That's the ones, you know, they, they, let me show you. Yeah, like this, the ones that fit in the window like that. That's what these are. Uh, and portable air cleaners. Just, just yesterday, Thursday, first set of efficiency standards that are new and not just a reversal of a Trump era rollback. Window air conditioners, otherwise known as room air conditioners, are smaller units. They can be put into window frames. They're the main cooling source. Wow, for 21.4 million American households. Holy crap. That's according to the Energy Department. Well, new standards, here we go. They'll set standards no one can meet, or they'll drive the price up where you can't afford it. Save consumers a total of $1.5 billion a year on electric bills. Yeah, and make it so you can't afford to buy the aircon. Expects the standards to cut carbon dioxide emissions, which we all know are not a problem anyway, by 106 million metric tons over 30 years. Yawner. Together, they're expected to cost manufacturers. Here's the rub. The cost to manufacturers... million dollars to comply with the new standards and where do you suppose that cost is going to come from yep you and what you pay for an aircon unit get ready folks first it was gas stoves and they said oh no 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 never happened it's happened now it's aircons and that's going to be next Hope you're ready for it. (laughs) Unbelievable. (sighs) Oh, yeah. Speaking of unbelievable, you know, usually we end the show with a good news story or a funny story. Well, this one is a funny story. In fact, I don't think I've seen anything as funny this whole week. President Biden seemingly has appointed Kamala Harris as his artificial intelligence czar. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I know. Have you gotten over it yet? 
President Joe Biden probably has some folksy anecdote about how his grandfather was the one who first developed artificial intelligence. It looks like he's leaving it up to Pres- uh, Vice President Kamala Har- Harris <laughs> to ensure that AI is used both safely and ethically. Harris Thursday met with the heads of Google, Microsoft, Anthropic, and OpenAI, the makers of ChatGPT. You'll notice who was not in the meeting? Elon Musk. I mean, of course not, but how stupid could they be? The AP noted Biden briefly dropped by the meeting in the White House. So this is Harris's show, right? Just like the border? Hmm. All right. So having said that, uh, meet your new czar in charge of artificial intelligence. Bob and Doug returned to the Kennedy Space Center. They suited up. They waved to their families. And they rode an elevator up nearly 20 stories. They strapped in to their seats and waited as the tanks beneath them filled with tens of thousands of gallons of fuel. And then they launched. Yeah, they did. (laughs) Oh my God! (laughs) Wow! Yeah, yes. There she is. That's the woman who's going to be heading the... The brilliant minds who create artificial intelligence. The woman is just the dumbest, dumb as a box of sticks. And let's just not forget that once Joe Biden has been impeached and he's either thrown in jail or at least out of office, this is the woman who will take his job. That should scare the crap out of you. It scares the crap out of me. All right, here we go. You ready? We started 1984 last time on our show. And we're going to continue on with that book right now. We were about halfway through the very first chapter of George Orwell's 1984. Winston was hiding away in his alcove, away from the telescreen. The thing that he was about to do was open a diary. This was not illegal. Nothing was illegal since there were no longer any laws. But if detected it was reasonably certain that it would be punished by death, or at least by 25 years in a forced labor camp. Winston fitted a nib into the pen holder and sucked on it to get the grease off. The pen was an archaic instrument, seldom used even for signatures, and he'd procured one furtively with some difficulty simply because of a feeling that the beautiful creamy paper deserved to be written on with a real nib instead of being scratched with an ink pencil. Actually, he was not used to writing by hand. Apart from very short notes, it was used usual to dictate everything into the speakwrite, which was, of course, impossible for his present purpose. He dipped the pen into the ink, then faltered for just a second. A tremor had gone through his bowels, To mark the paper was a decisive act. In small, clumsy letters, he wrote, 
April 4th, 1984. He sat back. A sense of complete helplessness had descended upon him. To begin with, he didn't know with any certainty that this was 1984. It must be round about that date, since he was fairly sure that his age was 39, and he believed he'd been born in 1944 or 1945. But it was never possible nowadays to pin down any date within a year or two. For whom it suddenly occurred to him to wonder, was he writing this diary? For the future. For the unborn. His mind hovered for a moment round the doubtful date on the page, and then fetched up with a bump against the new-speak word doublethink. For the first time, the magnitude of what had undertaken came home to him. How could you communicate with the future? It was of its nature impossible. Either the future would resemble the present, in which case it would not listen to him, or it would be different from it, and his predicament would be meaningless. For some time he gazed stupidly at the paper. The telescreen had changed over to strict military music. It was curious that he seemed not merely to have lost the power of expressing himself, but even to have forgotten what it was that he had originally intended to say. For weeks past, he'd been making ready for this moment, and it never crossed his mind that anything would be needed except courage. The actual writing would be easy. All he had to do was transfer to paper the interminable restless monologue that had been running in his head literally for years. At this moment, however, even the monologue had dried up. Moreover, his varicose ulcer had begun itching unbearably. He dared not scratch it because if he did so, it always became inflamed. The seconds were ticking by. He was conscious of nothing except the blankness of the page in front of him, the itching of the skin above his ankle, the blaring of the music, and a slight booziness caused by the gin. Suddenly, he began writing in sheer panic, only imperfectly aware of what he was settling down. His small but childish handwriting straggled up and down the page, shedding first its capital letters and eventually even its full stops. April 4th, 1984. Last night to the flicks, all war films. One very good one of a ship full of refugees being bombed somewhere in the Mediterranean. Audience much amused by shots of a great huge fat man trying to swim away with a helicopter after him. First you saw him wallowing along in the water like a porpoise, and then you saw him through the helicopter's gun sights. And then he was full of holes, and the sea round him turned pink, and he sank as suddenly as though the holes had let in the water, the audience shouting with laughter when he sank. Then you saw a lifeboat full of children with a helicopter hovering over it. There, there was a middle-aged woman, might have been a Jewess sitting up in the bow with a little boy about three years old in her arms. 
little boy screaming with fright, hiding his head between her breasts as if he were trying to burrow right into her. And the woman putting her arms around him, comforting him, although she was blue with fright herself. All this time covering him up as much as possible as if she thought her arms could keep the bullets off of him. And then the helicopter planted a 20-kilo bomb in among them, terrific flash, and the boat went all to matchwood. Then there was a wonderful shot of a child's arm going up, 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 right up in the air, a helicopter with a camera. Its nose must have followed it up. And there was a lot of applause from the party seats. But a woman down in the prole part of the house suddenly started kicking up a fuss and shouting they didn't ought to have showed it, not in front of kids. They, they didn't. It ain't right. Not in front of kids. It ain't until the police turned her down and out. I don't suppose anything happened to her because nobody cares what the proles has say. A typical prole reaction. They never. Winston stopped writing partly because he was suffering from a cramp. He didn't know what had made him pour out this stream of rubbish. But the curious thing was that while he was doing so, a totally different memory had clarified itself inside his mind, to the point where he almost felt equal to writing it down. It was, he now realized, because of this other incident, that he had suddenly decided to come home and begin the diary today. It happened that morning at the ministry. If anything so nebulous could be said to happen. It was nearly 1100. And in the records department where Winston worked. They were dragging the chains, chairs out of the cubicles. And grouping them in the center of the hall opposite the big telescreen. In preparation for two minutes hate. Winston was just taking his place in one of the middle rows when two people whom he knew by sight but had never spoken to came unexpectedly into the room. One of them was a girl whom he'd often passed in the corridors. He, he didn't know her name, but he knew that she worked in the fiction department, presumably since she'd sometimes uh, seen her with oily hands and carrying a spanner. She had some mechanical job on one of the novel-writing machines. She was a bold-looking girl of about 27, thick hair, freckled face, swift athletic movements, a narrow scarlet sa sash, emblem of the Junior Anti-Sex League. She wound several times around the waist of her overalls, just tightly enough to bring out the shapeliness of her hips. Winston had disliked her from the very moment of seeing her. He knew the reason. It was because of the atmosphere of the hockey fields and cold baths and community hikes and general clean-mindedness which she managed to carry about with her. He disliked nearly all women, and especially the young and pretty ones. It was always the women... It was always the women, and above all, the young ones, who were the most bigoted ad adherents of the party. 
the swallowers of slogans, the amateur spies and nosers out of unorthodoxy. But this particular girl gave him the impression of being more dangerous than most. Once when they passed in the corridor, she gave him a quick sidelong glance, which seemed to pierce right into him and for a moment had filled him with a black terror. The idea had even crossed his mind that she might be an agent of the Thought Police. That, it was true, was very unlikely. Still, he continued to feel a peculiar uneasiness, which had fear mixed up in it as well as hostility, whenever she was anywhere near him. The other person was a man named O'Brien, a member of the inner party, holder of some post so important and remote that Winston had only a dim idea of its nature. A momentary hush passed over the group of people round the chairs as they saw the black overalls of an inner party member approaching. O'Brien was a large, burly man with a thick neck and a coarse, humorous, brutal face. In spite of his formidable appearance, he had a certain charm of manner. He had a trick of resettling his spectacles on his nose, which was curiously disarming. In some indefinable way, curiously civilized. It was a gesture which, if anyone had still thought in such terms, might have recalled an 18th century nobleman offering his snuff-box. Winston had seen O'Brien perhaps a, a dozen times in as many years. He felt deeply drawn to him, and not solely because he was intrigued by the contrast between O'Brien's urbane manner and his prize-fighter physique. Much more, it was because of a secretly held belief, or perhaps not even a belief, merely a, a hope, that O'Brien's political orthodoxy was not perfect. Something in his face suggested it irresistibly. And again, perhaps it wasn't even unorthodoxy that was written in his face, but simply intelligence. At any rate, he had the appearance of being a person that you could talk to if somehow you could cheat the telescreen and get him alone. Winston had never made the smallest effort to verify this guess. Indeed, there was no way of doing so. And at this moment, O'Brien glanced at his wristwatch, saw it was nearly 1100, and evidently decided to stay in the records department until the two minutes' hate was over. He took a chair in the same row as Winston, a couple of places away. A small, sandy-haired woman who worked in the next cubicle to Winston was between them. The girl with dark hair was sitting immediately behind. The next moment a hideous, grinding speech, as some of the monstrous machine running without oil burst off the big telescreen at the end of the room. It was such a noise that set one's teeth on edge and bristled the hair at the back of one's neck. The hate had started. As usual, the face of Emmanuel Goldstein, the enemy of the people, had flashed onto the screen. There were hisses here and there among the audience. The little sandy-haired woman gave a squeak of mingled fear and disgust. Goldstein was the renegade, 
backslider who once long ago, how long ago nobody quite remembered, had been one of the leading figures of the party, almost on a level with Big Brother himself, and then had engaged in counter-revolutionary activities, had been condemned to death, and had mysteriously escaped and disappeared. The programs of the two-minute hate varied from day to day, but there was none in which Goldstein was not the principal figure. He was the primal traitor, the earliest defiler of the party's purity. All subsequent crimes against the party, all treacheries, acts of sabotage, heresies, deviations, sprang directly out of his teachings. Somehow or other, he was still alive and hatching his conspiracies. Perhaps somewhere beyond the sea, under the protection of his foreign paymasters, perhaps even, so it was occasionally rumored, in some hiding place in Oceana itself. Winston's diaphragm was constricted. He could never see the face of Goldstein without a painful mixture of emotions. It was a lean Jewish face with a great fuzzy aureole of white hair and a small goatee beard, a, a clever face, and yet somehow inherently despicable, with a kind of senile silliness in the long, thin nose, near the end of which a pair of spectacles was perched. It resembled the face of a sheep, and the voice, too, had a sheep-like quality. Goldstein was delivering his usual venomous attack against the doctrines of the party, an attack so exaggerated and perverse that a child should have been able to see through it, and yet just plausible enough to fill one with an alarmed feeling that other people, less level-headed than oneself, might be taken in by it. He was abusing Big Brother. He was denouncing the dictatorship of the party, demanding the immediate conclusion of peace with Eurasia, advocating freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of assembly, freedom of thought. He was crying hysterically that the revolution had been betrayed, and all of this in rapid polysyllabic speech, which was a sort of parody of the habitual style of the orators of the party, and even contained new-speak words. More new-speak words, indeed, than any party member would normally use in real life. And all the while, lest one should be in any doubt as to the reality which Goldstein's spacious claptrap covered, behind his head, on the telescreen, there were marched the endless columns of the Eurasian army, row after row of solid-looking men with expressionless Asiatic faces who swam up to the surface of the screen and vanished to be replaced by others exactly similar. The dull rhythmic tramp of the soldiers' boots formed the background to Goldstein's bleating voice. Before the hate had proceeded for thirty seconds, uncontrollable exclamations of rage were breaking out from half the people in the room. The self-satisfied, sheep-like face on the screen and the terrifying power of the Eurasian army behind it were too much to be borne.
Besides, the sight or even the thought of Goldstein produced fear and anger automatically. He was an object of hatred, more constant than either Eurasia or East Asia. Since when Oceania was at war with one of these powers, it was generally at peace with the other. But what was so strange was that, although Goldstein was hated and despised by everybody, although every day, a thousand times a day, on platforms, on the telescreen, in newspapers, in books, his theories were refuted, smashed, ridiculed, held up to the general gaze with a pitiful rubbish they were, in spite of all this, his influence never seemed to grow less. There always were fresh dupes waiting to be seduced by him. A day never passed when spies and saboteurs under acting under his direction were not unmasked by the thought police. He was the commander of a vast shadowy army, an underground network of conspirators dedicated to the overthrow of the state, the brotherhood its name was supposed to be. There were also whispered stories of a terrible book, a compendium of all the heresies of which Goldstein was the author, and which circulated clandestinely here and there. It was a book without a title. People referred to it, if at all, simply as the book. But one knew of such things only through vague rumors. Neither the Brotherhood nor the book was a subject of any ordinary party member would mention, if there was a way of avoiding it. That's where we're going to leave it off for tonight. Cool beans. All right, we will... <laughs> 1984, George Orwell. We're getting through the first chapter. Cool book. Uh, I, I told you before, I admit, I've never read this book before. I know, obviously, I know the book, all the quotes from it, all the theories behind it, but I've never actually sat down and read the book. So if you haven't, I'm discovering it with you. I hope you're enjoying it. It's cool. All right, I'll see you again on uh, Monday. Enjoy your weekend. Uh, yeah, that's it for a Friday. We'll see you Monday with more fun. Please click the follow button over there. It really helps the show out a lot. Really appreciate that. Spread the news around. Tell your friends to join us here. This is the Jay Sheldon Show. Good night. Good night.